Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Hey, Robert, I got a superhero question for you. Sure. Batman. Why doesn't he have any disease-related abilities or, or like an improved immune system? So, <laughs> so, you know, Batman's been around for like over 70 years. We largely know bats as being disease carriers, right? And yet he doesn't seem to, I mean, outside of like, I guess like he has little pellets on his pouch that he occasionally uses to throw gas at people, but I don't think it's like he's throwing a bullet at them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you, we start taking apart Batman, right? Because, in what ways is Batman actually like a bat at all? Right. Or, or perhaps more telling, uh, in what ways was, was he even initially like a bat? Cause I know a number of talented writers and artists have had a, had a chance over the years to build on the, the Batman mythos and, and occasionally incorporate bits of bat science. But was, maybe you can answer this. Was he essentially just a dude in a mask? Yeah. Because this, this, uh, recently I watched uh, a large portion of the, the really bad 1949 Batman and Robin uh, series is like a serial black and white 49. So this is pre uh, the TV show. I don't I don't think I've seen this. Uh, well, uh, Rift Tracks has been putting oh, out okay. installments of it. And okay. it's it's really bad. It's in, from several different vantage points. Yeah. It has uh, there's some anti Japanese sentiment that's in there. Yeah, it has this just terrible villain. that's just called the wizard. That's like a just an old dude in a black robe. And, and it's just, and it's the, the campiest versions of Batman and Robin as well. You know what you would like, and I, we have never talked about this off air before, but it's just popping in my head now. Have you ever heard of Batmanga? No. It's so, um, Japan's version of Batman done as manga. It's, there's some really old stuff and there's a whole book that Chip Kid put together that's a collection of the Batmanga comics. So you hmm. get an idea of what Japan's iteration of Batman and Robin were like. But then also just like photographs of all of the collectibles, the Japanese collectibles related to huh. Batman. Anyways, it's fascinating because when you mention this Batman villain, the wizard, like when you think of your like top rogues for Batman, the wizard isn't really high up there. Uh, and the Batman stuff is very similar. He's got all these like totally bizarre uh, characters that he interacts with the from thing- a Western perspective. <laughs> the thing that's interesting to me about the wizard is that it seems like somebody would have brought the wizard back just for the sake of doing it. Like, it seems yeah. like the kind of thing, like a Grant Morrison would say, hey, nobody's brought this uh, character back. What's some sort of crazy counterculture spin I can put on it? Yeah, you know, you're right. Actually, So it's funny you mentioned that. Grant Morrison did bring back one of the weird villains from the Batman stuff. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think his name was, like, Mr. Deathman or something like that. <laughs> it's like a guy in a skeleton costume. Um, anyways, yeah, he doesn't really have bat abilities right like so uh he doesn't really fly he glides right for the most part he does not have powered flight which is the big deal with bats. yeah and we're going to talk a lot about that today Mm -hmm. i guess he has the bat plane 
that could kind of count sometimes. Wow. But right. but any anybody but with an Woman airplane, has a plane. yeah, exactly. Um, he does use like echolocation. I think that's become like more of a thing since those Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely a case where inventive writers came in and said, "Hey, we should make him behave a little like a bat." So let's throw. Yeah, in those Arkham video games, like you can use the echolocation stuff pretty frequently. They call it detective mode, and mm-hmm. you can basically like oh, yeah, see yeah, right. everything around you in kind of like a radar fashion. Uh, I I wonder has anyone ever decided to have Bruce Wayne uh, and Batman as essentially a fruit bat, where <laughs> when he's not fighting crimes, just sitting around eating mangoes all day. Right? Yeah. I don't. You know, if anybody would do it, it'd be Morrison. And likewise, you have down here. If he was a fruit bat, can he lactate? That would be great too. Yeah. That would put a new maternal spin on him. Because of, just to to throw out the quick snapshot of the science, uh, m- certain uh, varieties of male fruit bats lactate. Uh, yeah. In order to help rear the young, like most males, uh, well, let me say that male humans can lactate as well under uh, certain sure, yeah. scenarios. But the male fruit bat in this case is the the only example of a mammal that regularly lactates uh, to help rear young. Yeah, the only thing I can think of that's even moderately close to that is again Morrison introduced. A bat cow. You know how like Batman and Superman have like pets. Mm-hmm. He has like a dog and a cat, and like Superman has a horse and stuff like that. Wait, is this really a thing? Yeah, oh, totally. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superman has a horse. Yeah, Comet the super horse. Huh. Um, he rides it. Uh, I think Supergirl rides it. Okay. Yeah, huh. and it flies. Uh, <laughs> but but Batman had a cow. Uh, for, in, in the Grant Morrison line. Cause I think like Robin, like they, they, they infiltrated some criminal headquarters where they were like, uh, abusing cows and mm-hmm. Robin like saved one of the cows and brought it back to Wayne Manor. <laughs> and it had like the markings on its face, like the way that its coloration on its face was looked like a bat symbol. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I like, I like that. But all right. Let's bring it back to sort of reality for a second here. Now, he doesn't really have any disease related abilities. And I'd say like, if you walk up to most people on the street and you say like, Hey, bats, what are the first three things you know about them, right? They'd be like, uh, they fly, they have echolocation, and they, they're carriers of disease, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, uh, when you and I get our hands on the Batman franchise in 10 or 20 years, we'll finally be able to write that, like, Batman as the Black Plague. Well, I guess it comes down to the, the idea that certainly you have comic book characters that are embodiments of disease. But they're, yeah. I think, almost all villains. I can't think of a hero off the top of my head. I'm sure there's somebody. There's this really silly one. Oh, God, I can't remember what her name is. Infectious Lass, <laughs> I think. She's one of the legions of Legion of Superheroes. That's the only one I can think of. Infection Lass. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about bats? Well, if you're a longtime listener of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you know probably for the last year I've been casually saying, we should do an episode on bats. We should do an episode on bats. And then we did the patient zero episode and we were talking about bats there because of how they spread disease, zoonotic disease. We specifically talked about the case of Dr. Lu Jianlun, who is a 64 year old doctor in China's Guangdong province. Uh, and he apparently transferred uh, SARS, I believe it was, to 16 other guests staying on the same floor of uh, like a hotel. 
Uh, and this seemed to be a case of super spreading. We talk about this a lot in the patient zero episode. We get into the idea of how SARS was sort of a bat disease, right? Uh, that it was a zoonotic infectious disease. It jumped from one species to another. Uh, this step involved the virus being able to transmit then from human to human without an animal reservoir like a bat. So it was believed that SARS originated in bats and then spread to other animals like civet cats and then the civet cats infected humans. Uh, another thing that we talked about related to bats was that they've, they've got all kinds of diseases that they're related to. Ebola, hepatitis C, SARS, and also perhaps MERS. Uh, in the case of SARS, it was thought that it spread to humans in 1994 by bats infecting horses in Brisbane, Australia. Then two people caught that virus from the horses, possibly from scratches or being exposed to infected blood. Both died horrible deaths. Uh, and other diseases, so uh, they think maybe pigs have become infected by eating saliva-colored fruit that f- bats have just dropped, and then the pigs infect humans. So it doesn't seem like in a lot of these zoonotic infection cases that bats are biting humans and humans are getting the disease. It's like various ways bats are infecting other animals, and then mm-hmm. those other animals are infecting humans. They're just a major conduit in the chain. Yeah. So um, we've received a little bit of listener mail about this, asking for clarification. People were concerned primarily about like the conservation of bats and the idea that maybe we didn't give the full story and that that would subsequently lead to more fear mongering of bats. Right. And far be it from us. That is the last thing I want to do. In fact, uh, I have to just as a subjective thing before we really get into bats. Uh, I've spent some time in Austin, Texas recently, and if anybody who's gone there, that they, they know about the Bat oh, Bridge. The Bat Bridge yeah. yeah, and man alive, I love the Bat Bridge. It's so much fun. Uh, if you've never been, I forget, I think it's the Congress Street Bridge in Austin, but you go there certain times a year, certain times a night millions of bats live under this bridge and they all fly out from underneath this bridge all at the same time. You get to see them for about like 30 minutes, just the swarm of them (laughs) up in the air flying around and then going off to various parts of Austin to, you know, collect their food for the night, basically, before they go back to sleep under the bridge during the day again. Uh, I like bats. Like, yeah. Uh, if a bat was caught in my home, like my reaction wouldn't be kill it. It would be like, oh, let's capture that guy and then let him back outside. Yeah, I have, um, I have to say that on vacations, uh, especially uh, vacations to the, the Caribbean, uh, which I've got to go in, on two of those in the last couple of years, uh, I, I've always – both trips I just really enjoyed watching the bats mm-hmm. uh, when the sun began to go down. Um, yeah, they're just fascinating creatures. And uh, and when I have captured them in the house before not, – not not my house, but uh, like a vacation house that yeah. I was staying in uh, one time – uh, over a weekend, they uh, we we found it. It had somehow gotten trapped in the house, and it was trying to like get water out of the sink. Okay, and I thought it was a tea bag at first. I'm glad, wow. in retrospect, that I did not like grab it put out it of my in fingers, your tea. Yeah, <laughs> or put it in my tea and have the, some horrible bat tea concoction. But uh, yeah, we, my son and I like made a, a you know an activity out of freeing the bat from the house and uh, helping it get away. So, yeah, bats are fascinating creatures. We're certainly not uh, trying to, to spread any fear about it. In fact, right. this episode is about uh, spreading some truth on the matter. Yeah, in fact, we have actually gotten to the point where between, yes, bats carrying a lot of disease, but they have these fascinating immune systems that we're starting to look at the science of their anatomy, how it deals with 
these viruses and then how we might apply that to human beings, bats may be the key to us living longer lives and fighting off diseases that currently are pretty dangerous to human beings. One day we may all be Batman and Batgirls. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, unlike Bruce Wayne, we will maybe carry viruses, but our immune systems will be so fast <laughs> that we'll just be constantly compromising them. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, should we get down to brass tacks? Then? Yeah, let's just uh, let's do a little overview about bats. I, th- I think we should say, first of all, like stuff to blow your mind before I was on it, did a bunch of bad episodes. You and Julie have talked about them extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just do a refresher. OK, so all told, there are about uh, eleven hundred and five different species of bats in the world, and they make up uh, about a quarter of all mammal species. Uh, there are 45 different species of bats that live in the United States and Canada. Most bat species live in the tropical regions of the world. Now, evidence for bat-like flying mammals appears as far back as the Eocene epoch some uh, 50 million years ago. However, the fossil record tracing bat evolution is uh, incomplete. So based on similarities of bones and teeth, most uh, authorities agree that bats' uh, ancestors were probably insect-eating uh, animals, uh, po- possibly living in the trees, and they and likely the same uh, group that gave rise to shrews and moles. Oh, okay. So bats are, are not rodents, and they're not even uh, uh, closely related to that group of mammals. Yeah, that's really important for what we're going to discuss today, too, because they're often compared to rodents in mm-hmm. terms of how the two different species act as disease carriers. Right, you think of them as like a flying mouse. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most bats in uh, in North America eat insects. As a matter of fact, one bat eats about 2,000 to 6,000 insects each night. Wow. And uh, just a few other crazy cool facts about them. When it comes to flying, it's it's easy to think, oh, well, it's just it's a it's a bat with it's a mouse with wings. It's like a cross between a mouse and a bird. <laughs> well, You're right. It's it's more complicated and more amazing than that. So Throughout human history, we've only had a, a few evolutionarily distinct modes of flight, and there are only three distinct modes of vertebrate fr- flight. There, uh, f- there's the uh, uh, pterosaurian flight uh, that was, uh, you know, employed by the by by pterodactyls, pterodactyls, uh, uh, t- pteranodons, etc. And then you have avian flight, and then you have uh, chiropteran flight, which is bats. Okay. So these are distinct modes of flight that were uh, that were that evolved separately, and then on top of that, there there's insect flight as well. So right. four models all told. Now you uh, once had megabats as opposed to microbats, and these are large bats that were uh, that are f- that are found in uh, old world tropical rainforests such as Australia, Asia, and Africa. So dire bats. Yeah. <laughs> and then the biggest bats in the world, the biggest bat in the world right now is the the uh, uh, Malayan flying fox found in Asia. It weighs about two pounds and has a wingspan of about six feet, and it eats only fruit. See, yeah, and people are probably you know scared of it. I would assume, uh, even though it's just you know eating nectar, eating nectar and pooping. I mean, that's, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Um, the flying fox comes up a lot in this research. Mm-hmm. It's one of the one of the species that's investigated. Now, the smallest bat in the world is Kitty's hognose bat, also called the bumblebee bat, and it's found in Thailand. It weighs about two grams. Uh, it's about how much a dime weighs, wow. and it has a six-inch wingspan. So that's like a hummingbird bat, yeah. tiny, tiny little thing. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will jump into the disease. Okay, so we're back. 
So yeah, so there is this just assumption by most people that bats carry disease, right? That's why most people freak out when they find a bat in their house. It's like, oh, it's going to spread disease. It's probably got rabies or something, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a, God, I remember this when I was like five years old, uh, we were at my uncle's house and there was a bat in the attic and he had a tennis racket and was like chasing this bat around the house with a tennis racket, trying to, trying to kill it. And I, even at five, I was like, why just open the window, man, let this bat go. <laughs> anyway, bats are a refuge for some of the world's most lethal diseases to humans. That is true. And that includes rabies, Ebola, Marburg, and SARS. Now, because there are many high-profile epidemics that are traced to bats, we call these bat-borne viruses. And there's a whole line of investigation related to bat-borne viruses. They're similar. The the way that they carry disease is similar to rats or mice and that they are known as disease reservoirs. But again, they are not rodents. So these are very different species. Now, while they seem adept at harboring and spreading disease, others argue that this notoriety for bats isn't justified. Most of the time, reservoirs like bats rarely show symptoms of the disease that they're actually infected with. This is why it came up as a topic when we were talking about patient zero. Mm -hmm. Other times, the virus infects a new, more vulnerable species like us human beings. This is why most research says that bats were responsible for the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Now, what's weird is that bats don't seem to die as quickly from these viruses. In Ghana, for instance, 60 to 80 percent of fruit bats over 10 years old had antibodies in their system for the rabies Lisa virus, but they were all in good health. The same goes for those that were carrying Ebola. There was only one presumed bat to human transfer of the disease. So there's this, this fear that the bats are going to spread the disease to us. Right. And yet there's very little evidence that there's bat to human transfer. Uh, but more along the lines, like we were talking about earlier, that it's more like bats infect other animals. We're encroaching upon bat habitats. Therefore we get infected as it transfers from animal to animal, the zoonotic infection. (laughs) Now obligatory, uh, Simpsons reference. Um, I, I remember there being an episode where it's it's explained that uh, Mr. Burns uh, is still alive because he has all of these illnesses that are – I think they use a, a graphic that shows like all these illnesses trying to squeeze through a door at the same time and none of them <laughs> can get through. And that's why he can't die from any of them. That's fascinating. Uh, so I can't help but think of so that. So he's kind of a bat. Yeah. yeah, kind of. Uh, in Australia, 30 to 70 percent of flying foxes, I told you they'd come up, had antibodies to the Hendra virus. And this indicated that they'd been infected with it at some point. But only three percent at any given time were actually carrying it. So that's a small amount compared to the amount that had been infected. The infected bats themselves had low levels of this pathogen, indicating that they were somehow keeping it at bay. Subsequently, it, it's really rare for the Hendra disease to pass even from bats to horses. However, in 2011, it leapt over in 24 cases. And the theory for that is because the bats were stressed out. Hmm. Uh, and that the, the, this caused a surge in the level of viruses that the bats were carrying and subsequently made it easier for them p- to pass it on to horses. Huh. This is going to be important later when we talk about uh, massive culling of bats, when people go, oh, they're disease carriers. We've got to wipe them out, go destroy their colonies, right? Or else they're going to give us these diseases. That could only make things worse because then you're stressing out the bat population, which makes the diseases become even more powerful. 
Now, I want to throw in a note on vampire bats here as well. So um, the author, uh, Bill Shute, has a wonderful book titled Dark Banquet that deals with vampiric organisms in general, but a lot of it deals with bats. It's also a, a Vampire the Gathering uh, RPG manual. <laughs> it could be if you want to do a very science-oriented uh, campaign. Uh, he also has a book on cannibals out that I have not read. Oh, cool. Anyway, in the book, he points out that vampire bats introduce the additional threat of a disease-promoting wound. The host survives the feeding, but the wound invites additional organisms and infections. The bigger concern, though, is going to be rabies. So it's not the most deadly or the most common bat-borne illness, but if the infection takes hold, it's essentially 100% fatal in humans and uh, and, and rather infamous as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, of, of all the pa- uh, pathogens affecting humans. And in bat populations overall, um, rabies uh, seroprevalence, that's the number of persons in a population who test positive for a specific disease, uh, can reach 50%. Hmm. And you have some notes here about Trinidad. We were talking a little bit about this earlier because of some Trinidadian folklore. There's bats all over the place down there. Yeah, and uh, and, and this is a, an account that uh, Shute mentions in his book uh, that I think is interesting. It, it definitely involves both uh, bats and disease, but also superstitions, uh, attempts to cull bat populations. So in Trinidad, bat-transmitted rabies killed 89 people and thousands of cattle between 1925 and 1934. In 34, that's when uh, the Trinidadian uh, Medical Department rolled out its anti-rabies unit, and their job was to respond to vampire bat attacks, net, and destroy the vamps. So they uh, they, they painted... Uh, they did this by not only killing the uh, the bats on the site, but they also painted poisonous paint on vampire bats, decimating colonies. It was a rough situation. Jeez. Well, and I immediately think to the current science and wonder, I wonder how much they stressed out the bat population, yeah. further spreading disease to I, the human I, I population. I think they, they, they certainly did. Yeah. And uh, Shute points out that superstition played a part in this as well. So lo- local Trinidadian uh, folklore uh, told of creatures uh, – called uh, sukiants, and these are crones or hags that can uh, shed their skin at night and become a fiery, blood-sucking ball, Hmm. and you sprinkle rice on your doorstep to keep them away. Okay. Now, there were also conservationists at the time, and they they, uh, combated the folklore and the general fear of disease associated with bats by spreading the message that, look, there are only two out of 58 bat species on the island that are vampires. And of those two, only the common vampire bat, or uh, Desmodus rotundus, is a significant rabies threat. Mm, so, okay. So that, yeah, so that definitely sounds like a situation where the fear of bats sort of got the better of the human population and, and maybe made the problem worse. So we've, we've really outlined here that, okay, these bats carry all these diseases. They don't seem to be affected by it too much. Mm-hmm. What's the deal? And, you know, subsequently, why then does it transfer? Okay. Well, seems like bats have super immune systems. Again, something you would think that Batman would have as power, right? Like, like that would be a cool power. He yeah. just never gets, I guess Batman just never gets sick anyways, <laughs> but it's not like any villains are trying He's to too busy. give he him cancer. too busy. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of why the bats, it turns yeah. out, have such great immune systems. There's two schools of thought here, okay, on whether bats actually carry a disproportionately high number of viruses. The first school of thought goes like this. Bat-related epidemics arise because there are so many species of bats and there's so many individual bats that the emergence of all these various diseases isn't surprising. 
like Robert said at the top, there's more than 1,200 bat species. Bats comprise more than 20% of the mammals on Earth. A single colony can sometimes have millions of bats living in it. And there may be a massive amount of bat diversity, right? In a 2013 study on the Indian flying fox, that giant bat, 55 viruses were detected in its system. 50 were previously unknown. So they, they're carrying a lot. That's just one species. We may be hearing about bat-borne epidemics more often simply because of how humans are interacting with bats, right? We're encroaching in on their habitats. Subsequently, they suffer from the stigma of being disease-ridden. And likewise, bats are surveyed more often and are easier to catch than other mammals, too. So subsequently, we're, again, interacting with them more, maybe for studies. So some conservationists argue that the viruses they carry aren't actually emerging infectious diseases, but they're simply just new to us as human beings. And let's remember, too, bats live in those packed colonies, right? So it's super easy for them to pass viruses onto one another. They also can fly thousands of kilometers, which subsequently makes it easier for them to deliver viruses to further distances. Okay, that's the first theory. Here's the second, like, Wolverine healing factor immune systems (laughs) theory, okay? Bats have a special physiology and lifestyle that makes them exceptionally good at hosting viruses. Bats live between three and ten times longer than other mammals their size. And we used to think that this was because of hibernation. But there's there's been a lot more research into this lately. If you inject a bat with bacterial toxins that would normally trigger an immune response in mammals, a bat will have no fever, and no spike in white blood cells. Now, research published in 2012 shows that while bat genomes contain many of the same ingredients as other mammals, bats use these genomes differently. Bat genes coding for proteins detect and repair damaged DNA, and they are much more prevalent than we had previously thought. So this new line of thinking is that bat genes are doing something that helps them survive and reproduce and that they subsequently pass these awesome genes along to subsequent generations. So those same DNA repair genes that I was talking about are frequently the targets for invading viruses. In fact, Key genes in DNA damage repair are also involved in tumor development and immunity. And this might be why bats are evolving in such a way. Now, here's a crazy anecdote. Bats almost never develop tumors. Uh, perhaps this is because these repair genes are just constantly outpacing malignant growths. They almost never get cancer. When you give them tumor-causing drugs, they're less likely to develop cancer than other mammals. So that's pretty wild. In humans and mice, defenses like these repair genes, those are activated in response to a threat, right? So uh, sort of like we were talking about in our other episode this week, you know, it's a, a, a stimuli system. If you have a, a trigger, it activates it. In this case, in bats, it seems to be perpetually turned on. Their immune system is just always on. And that might be why the viruses they carry are kept below a point where they can actually harm their host. 
Also, bats seem to have lost an entire branch of their immune system that's made up of inflammasomes. These are the receptors and sensors that induce inflammation. So they've evolved to turn down their inflammatory response to various threats, including viruses. So basically, bats are just like, ain't no big thing. I've got a, I've got 55 viruses in me right now, right? Now, why? You're probably going, well, why bats and not me, right? The thought here is it's because of the high metabolic rate bats have to keep up to maintain their energy they produce while they're flying. Otherwise, the stress of flying itself would damage their cells and their DNA if it wasn't so quickly detected and repaired. So the ability to carry all these lethal viruses may come actually as a co-evolutionary accident. Bats are the only mammals that are capable of powered flight, which is super demanding in terms of energy, and it subsequently is very tough on their metabolism. A bat's heart can beat over a thousand times a minute if they need it to, and their metabolic rate in the air increases 34 times. When you compare that to rodents, again, not the same species, but exercising rodents, they only jump up to eight times their metabolic rate. When your metabolism is as ramped up as bats are, it spews out free radicals. And these are energetic particles that can damage cells and kickstart inflammation. So it's possible that bats evolved specifically for flight and that that just casually also allows them to avoid overreacting to viral infections. Now, another note on vampire bats. Uh, I think we've touched on this in the past and we've discussed real-world vampires. Uh, but, but this makes the vampire bat situation even crazier. They have this, this crazy metabolism to deal with, the costs of high costs of powered flight, and they're depending on uh, the nutrient-deprived uh, feast of blood to power everything. Right. This is like if you, you met somebody and uh, you sit and you ask them, hey, what are you into and what do you do for a living? And they say, well, uh, I have a... Uh, I have a, 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 a hobby of mine is, is just collecting really expensive wines, and my profession is hot dog photography, only hot dog photography. And you're like, ooh, I don't know, guy. That sounds like you've got <laughs> a really expensive hobby and an, ex- an extremely specific uh, uh, career here that, uh, that, that I can't imagine pays the, the dividends necessary. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the idea about the, the bat, immune system seems to be supported when we look at their mitochondria. It seems that their mitochondria has undergone more evolutionary changes than the mitochondria that's in other mammals. Individual bats have an assortment of mitochondria rather than the way that uh, most organisms like us have just carbon copies of it. This seems to help them deal with the damaging free radicals that are produced during flight all of which can explain their long lives, the tumor resistance, and more. Bat mitochondria also might be like these crucial command centers that sense and decide whether a cell should fight or just self-destruct. So they've got, they've really got this like, uh, you know, to use the same metaphor that we were using in, in this week's demon episode, like they've got a great home security system <laughs> uh, when it's all like, you know, in terms of dealing with viruses, dealing with uh, the metabolic breakdown in their system, etc. Another hypothesis that's related to bat flight, though, generate is that they generate so much heat that it actually mimics a fever. Now, you know, fevers combat infection by raising our body temperature to levels that will kill or disable any invading pathogen. But maybe bats' body temperatures are so high when they fly that they're just inadvertently killing viruses off. 
Yeah, this is an interesting take on, on bat immunities. Um, there is a 2015 study published in Biology Letters that, uh, that uh, hypothesized that a lot of uh, it could come down to these drastic temperature changes over the course of just a single day. So a bat sleeps in the day, temperature drops to conserve energy, then slows the pathogen spread in the process. Then it goes out to hunt in which case its temperatures exceed 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and this, in, in, which basically involves a daily fever uh, to, to increase the activity of certain immune cells. Yeah, yeah. The, so the fa- fascinating stuff that uh, is not incorporated into Batman lore. Not, ba- oh, Batman no. doesn't have a fever all the yeah, time. Yeah, or is he not, like, burning up with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with He's energy. burning up with rage at the death of his parents. <laughs> That's true. Now, here's another interesting thing about bat metabolism. So they're uh, heterotherms, meaning they can exhibit characteristics of both warm and cold-blooded organisms. But they're distinct from all other heterotherms in that no matter what the season, their resting temperature and metabolic rate is dependent uh, on a non-ambient temperature. They're the only mammals in which uh, the resting metabolism is a direct function of the body temperature rather than the ambient temperature. Huh. Wow. Yeah, and th- that came from a, an article by Raymond J. Hawk, uh, The Metabolic Rates and Body Temperatures of Bats. And some of you are probably wondering, well, okay, bats fly, but so do all those other creatures that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about birds? You know, do birds have the same superpower? Well, birds are also long-lived, and that's possibly because flight enables enables them to just evade predators. But uh, it's also because flight increased their chances of developing a mechanism to reduce cellular damage. Very similar, right? So the metabolic thing is similar. I don't know necessarily, though, that the body temperature thing equals out, probably because uh, we're talking about mammals versus birds, totally different mm-hmm. anatomies. Either way, some scientists still worry that bat-borne viruses are so lethal because they've evolved to withstand the bat's incredibly active immune system. But if they transfer to humans, right, so like rabies or Ebola, these viruses are super well-equipped to defeat our weaker uh, immune systems. So subsequently, that's why we have such a hard time dealing with these. Oh, wow. So it, in in the Dune universe, uh, the bat would be like a hell world where you <laughs> right. e- where you evolve and develop a, a highly um, uh, effective mode of shock troops. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take another break. And when we get back, we're going to close out by talking about, hey, don't kill those bats because we might be able to use them to lead to improvements in our health. All right, we're back. So, so hit me, Christian. How how can we potentially become more bat-like? Am I going to need a telepod and a bat, and are we going to splice ourselves together into a man bat? Yeah, you know that seems like one way that would work pretty well. But it would, you know, like like with man bat, you would kind of like lose total control of your personality and probably <laughs> murder your wife. But uh, and you wouldn't want to do the Batman thing because, like we said, Batman is just a guy in a costume. He's got some gadgets. He's not really. Uh, you know, cranking up the metabolism. He doesn't have a great immune system. Uh, man bat, for anyone listening who's not familiar, uh, is of the, the bat human hybrid that shows yeah. up in the Batman, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, comics. I remember he's most literally fondly from the cartoon. He's kind of what you think of when you first hear Batman. Is yeah. that like he would, it's like a were bat. Yeah. With yeah. like, uh, ripped blue jeans, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, now, as a result of recent viruses, whole bat colonies are being killed off in the name of public health, as we mentioned earlier. And experts say, look, we shouldn't be afraid of bats because the viruses they carry comparatively hardly ever transmit to human beings. In fact, 
killing bats may make things worse. Like I mentioned, the stress on the remaining bats could actually raise their viral loads, which could lead to more transference to other animals. But what if bats could hold the key to improving human health and allowing us to live longer? Well, if we look at knowledge and we try to figure it out, how their immune systems work, and that leads to the development of drugs that would improve our health and lifespan. That's one way that we could do it. So we basically reverse engineer those proteins, and then we turn it into medicine. Or we could use gene editing technology to make human genomes more like bats, which would give us similar uh, immune system properties. Although I I have to wonder if there would be some kind of like drawback with that in the mm. sense that like uh if your metabolism was that fast but you weren't flying all the time right wouldn't you just be constantly like you hungry yeah i mean that yeah. would, it would seem to be the case so you'd have to eat a lot more um maybe that's where we start eating bugs researchers are also trying to identify the proteins that specifically allow bats to control inflammation and other processes that are associated with disease. So it's possible that we could one day use these proteins or a version of them to treat disorders where inflammation is a problem, like, for instance, rheumatoid arthritis or heart disease. So we could use these to stop viruses like Ebola also from killing us. Like if we figure out how the bat system works, then we apply it to the human anatomy system, we could potentially be resistant to Ebola and rabies in the same way that they are, or maybe other viruses that we haven't even discovered yet. So to bring it back to, to Batman, you do have to, to, I guess, acknowledge that Batman, if nothing else, he's long lived, he's resistant to illness and death. If, uh, if, if you take into account that the character hit comic book stands for the first time in 1939, and assuming Wayne was, what, at least 20 at the yeah. time, he's still going strong today at close to 100, over 100 years old. Yeah, Ben Affleck doesn't look a yeah. day over 99. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that speaks to the power of the mythology, I oh, think, yes, of yes. Batman in popular culture, for sure. But, yeah, it's definitely, it seems like... Uh, Batman and other superheroes are certainly long lived, but there's no explanation in the, uh, the, the meta text of why Batman has been around for so long, right? Tell me Even this. in like some of them, like there's a, do you remember Batman Beyond, that cartoon oh, that was yeah, like set right. in the future? Yeah, and he, it's, so in that you have the old Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Cause this was going to be my next question. What is the oldest depiction of Bruce Wayne and or Batman? In uh, a comic book or cartoon. Yeah, I think it's that. Yeah. Um, and in that, even then, he's still kind of a badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and the bat dog comes up in that because he's <laughs> got a, um, Ace the Bat Hound hangs out with him in the cave all the time. Okay. But, uh, there's also another depiction. I think it's in Kingdom Come, mm-hmm. which is a sort of alternate universe story. Again, older Batman, but he like, Wears more like sort of like an Iron Man armor version mm-hmm. of like the Batman suit that allows him to go out and uh, fight crime and deal with other superheroes and stuff. Old dude in a power armor suit. Basically, okay. yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. But none of it had to do with his metabolism or gene editing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, there you have it. We've talked about uh, bats, bats and diseases. We've... Uh, 
uh, gone back and forth a little bit about Batman, uh, and now we we leave it to you. We ask you for feedback. Yeah, so, uh, you know, let us know. I, I want to make sure that we gave Bats a fair shake. Let us know if you feel that that was the case. Let us know if you like Bats, or if you, you know, you think we're totally wrong here, and you're like, yeah, all Bats must be annihilated, right? Uh, also, look to Facebook, because we're probably... Uh, going to be doing a Facebook Live about, I would imagine, demons and bats the week that these episodes come out uh, related to trailers of movies that have bats in them. Do you remember that bat movie that had um, Lou Diamond Phillips in it? It was literally called just Bats. No, uh, I don't think I remember that. It came out in the 90s. It was a pretty terrible horror movie. We might have to pull that one out. Oh, man. I can think of a, at least a couple of bat-related horror films from the past, though. That would be fun to, yeah. to discuss. Yeah, I think, I think we've got a, a good trailer talk coming up for us. So if you like watching those or if you've never seen one before, uh, tune in on Facebook. You don't have to watch it when it's live. It'll sit on our Facebook page. Usually Robert, Joe, and I sitting around for about 30 minutes talking about the science related to this week's episodes tying into our favorite monster movie trailers. So you can find that on our Facebook page. You can also contact us through Facebook. We're also on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We're on Instagram. We've also got StuffToBlowYourMind.com where there's all those bat podcasts that Julie and Robert did in the past. If you want to just binge listen to bat information, we got it. And if you want to get in touch with us the old-fashioned way, just uh, hit us up at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank <laughs> you.